Here's another Bible study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. I will say that uh, most of the time when you come to Calvary Chapel, you expect to do to be part of a sequential uh, or consecutive, we call it consecutive exposition, but it's verse by verse, chapter by chapter. So if you were in, you know, John 2 last week, you probably plan on being in John chapter 3 this week. Sorry about that. Sorry to disappoint you. Uh, we're going to just jump into Luke 24 uh, today. Um, we're going to see that unexpected things happen. Sometimes they're good things beyond what we expect, and other times they leave us scratching our heads or even downright discouraged or frustrated or even angry. You all know that. Um, life just has some interesting twists and turns. Sometimes life is boring, uneventful, <laughs> and uh, other times, you know, we say, where's the Lord in this? Uh, some some events have twisted and turned in ways that we certainly didn't expect. I mean, who would have expected a pandemic? Um, you can look around the world and you see things um, and you go, wow, I sure wouldn't want to pay, you know, $4 and whatever cents a gallon for gasoline, you know, whereas uh, you didn't pay that uh, in a not so distant time behind us. So how do we make sense of it all? when things are coming at us unexpectedly? Well, we're going to see some people in this story today, this account in Luke 24, where it didn't go as they expected. But we will see how Jesus brings them into a broader, proper perspective to handle the unexpected. Okay, He's going to help them have the right perspective, and that's a biblical perspective. It's a whole Bible perspective perspective rather than just a narrow focused uh, on, on a single event perspective so stick with us as we go through here uh, we're gonna um, just recount the first 12 verses are this is a resurrection story okay we've had the crucifixion on the third day uh, some ladies go to the tomb in verses 1 through 12 the tomb is empty they tell the the, the, the disciples and um, <coughs> They they run, it says, and they, and they go there. Uh, I think in this account it just says Peter. Uh, from John's account, we know it's Peter and John. Um, and and, that, and that's where we'll pick it up uh, for the sake of the text here. But we're going to be introduced to, to two guys. We're only going to get one of their names as we go through here. But we'll, we'll pick up the text then in verse 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. He said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you've had with one another as you walk and are so sad or are sad? Then one of then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? 
And he said to them, what things? Now, he didn't say he didn't know. He just said, what things? He answered a question with a question. Back to the text. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Here we have two guys. They're walking on this road from Jerusalem out. It says about seven miles is the estimate we have. And as they walk, Jesus comes up and, and you know, they don't, they aren't able to identify him for whatever reason. You know, I don't know if he had one of those, you know, fake mustaches on or whatever. Again, it, it just says they weren't able to identify him. We'll leave it at that. Their perspective is pretty good, though. I mean, you've got to give them some credit here. They say, well, this is Jesus. We're followers of him. Mighty in word, mighty in deed, right? Check, check those boxes. You know, the chief priests and our rulers, you know, they said, you know, we're Jewish people. Is our chief priests and our rulers delivered him. They had to, have to get Roman approval to have him crucified, but they, he was crucified. And look what their expectations are. You see it in the text? We were hoping, verse 21, verse 21, we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. They're sounding like they've given up on that hope, or they don't see how that's going to take place. They're right. He's mighty indeed, mighty in word. And yes, it is him who's going to redeem Israel. But their perspective was so narrow that they thought redeeming Israel was he would be king right away. They'd throw off these Roman oppressors, and Israel would be back into a glorious state, and King Jesus would reign. Right? That, that, that's pretty much what they were, we can conclude that in general. That, that's the direction that their, that their uh, expectations were headed. And that's not all, you know, that's not improper. That, that, that lines up with scripture to an extent. Some of it, though, was, might have been, not selfish, but they were looking to improve their situation. Can we, can we conclude that? As Jews, under Roman oppression, if they get a Jewish leader, well, then that oppression is gone. So they were hoping that their situation would be improved. Now, all of us can relate to that. I'd like to have things happen that improve my situation, right, in, in, in general terms. So these guys had a pretty good, they were headed in the right direction, but it was an incomplete set of expectations, wasn't it? They weren't taking everything into consideration. They had limited understanding, in a sense. Anybody else? Me too. There's times I don't fully understand what's going on. 
I'm hoping, my expectations are, I'm hoping for a better situation. I'm hoping things improve, whether that's relationally or personally or family or whatever it might be. Even as a country, I hope it's going to improve. That's not a bad thing to have, but sometimes our understanding is limited from what God has in store, right? His ways are higher than our ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, the Bible says, his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. So sometimes we need to broaden our view, get a more whole Bible view in order to get our expectations in line with what he's doing, or at least be open and by faith, trust him for what he's going to do, even if we don't see it. Something really unexpected happened. The tomb was empty. Did you see that? They didn't expect that. Oh, we got this report this morning. We're not sure what to make of it. They say the tomb's empty. A couple of guys run down there. They, the tomb's empty. Now what? You know, so this thing is moving fast on them, and they're not sure what to do. Now what? Well, let's get Jesus' perspective here. Verse 25. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to, and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded or explained to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. They still don't know it's Jesus. That's the way the account will read. Foolish and slow of heart. Oh, is he being harsh with these guys? <laughs> no. If it was me, there's plenty of times where I, I would say that's being kind to me <laughs> because I'm foolish and slow of heart to believe. Many times in my life I look at it and go, yeah. He says, you're slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. So what he's saying is your perspective is limited here. Your expectations aren't taking into consideration all of what the Bible has to say. So he explains that he was to suffer these things and then to enter his glory. He explained things concerning himself. And it says he began with um, Moses and all the prophets and he explained to them in all the scriptures concerning himself. Well, let's take a little tour here. I'm going to just put forth some of the things that he might have said. Okay? If you're taking notes, you just, just jot down the references. I'll give you a few of them. Wow, don't you wish that that one would have been recorded? You know, this, this little Bible study that Jesus did on the road to Emmaus? Like, wow, I'd like to have Jesus do an Old Testament summary, you know, in how many ever minutes it was. Get the copy of that one, you know. I suspect... It says Moses and the prophets, but my suspicions are that he might have even started earlier than that. Way back in the garden, after Adam and Eve sinned, we have an account in Genesis 3. Genesis 3, and when God pronounces this curse because of the sin, he speaks to the serpent. And he says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Many believe that that's the first pronouncement right after the fall of God saying, here's my plan to deal with sin. 
to provide a remedy for sin, to provide a restoration to that relationship, the right relationship that God created with, uh, that he intended to have with people, okay? The seed of the woman, of course, we point towards ultimately the Messiah, the one that would bruise his head, the one who would bring that ultimate victory, because we know ultimately that victory comes through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross for us. Just a few verses later, a couple concepts that we're going to follow through here, real quick here in this, this rundown. Verse 21, it says, Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord made tunics of skin and he clothed them. He made a way to cover them, even though they had sinned and their nakedness was covered. But how did he get skins to cover them with? A sacrifice had to be made. Do you see that? So we already have in Genesis 3, with sin, but we have God saying, no, I'm going to provide a remedy for that, and it's going to involve sacrifice. We see sacrifice in, in 3.15, and, or 3.15 and then sacrifice in 3.21. Right, how about Noah? A couple pages down, down your Bible, Noah uh, is in chapter 6. Genesis 6.8 says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Some people poke fun at it or don't like the Old Testament. Oh, it's all about law, and God seems to be this judge, and he's just hammering on people, and it's about, I don't know. Genesis 6, 8 says that Noah found grace. So now we see this idea that part of that remedy is going to involve grace. Jump ahead to Genesis chapter 12. As part of this little journey that's actually just one big story of the whole Bible, we, we're introduced to Abraham. Uh, verse 2 of chapter 12, he says, I will make you a great nation. This is to Abraham, one individual. I'll bless you, make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Wow, that's quite a pronouncement. So here we have God saying, through this guy's line, he's going to bless ultimately all the nations of the earth. Yeah. So we start to see this idea that there's going to be a man who has a clan and ultimately would become a nation. Through this line, all, everybody's going to end up having an opportunity to be blessed by the Lord. How is that? Well, it's up ahead in Genesis 15. Verse 6 says, Abraham, he believed in the Lord and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So Abraham was seen as right in God's standing by his obedience, by his high moral and upstanding character. No, by his faith. We're not even halfway through Genesis, folks. And what do we have? We have sin, but we have a, a promise of restoration. We have it through, it will involve sacrifice, it will involve grace, and it will involve faith. And we're only at Genesis 15. That's what moves through the whole Bible. Now, you'll say, well, all the Old Testament deals with those things? Well, they're there. They're there. But the, most of the Old Testament deals with how God going to deal with this promise to Abraham where he would become a nation... And, and that, through that nation, ultimately, there would be this Messiah that would come. So, you guys know the story of Moses. 
You know, he's sent by this time Israel as a nation. He delivers them out of the bondage of sin. How, what's, the, what's that last and final climatic event to, to bring them out of Egypt? Passover, right. It's the sacrifice of a Passover lamb whose blood <laughs> marks the doorposts, and so they're passed over. Judgment is, is, it passes over that household. Hmm. Involves a sacrifice. So on their way to the land, even though they uh, hit some major speed bumps, called sin and just unbelief and rebellion. Moses gets these directions from the Lord as to how this nation is to conduct themselves in faith, right? The law is given. This is when, when you look at the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, you see this happening, how this nation is to conduct themselves and stay separate, really, in a sense, so that they can bring about this promised Messiah. So we see the law, we see a priesthood, someone who's to, to, to be a, a go-between between the people and God. But we see God introducing his presence, right? They had the tabernacle that would go and that God's presence was with them. Well, that's an idea that we still have today, isn't it? God's present with us by the power of his Holy Spirit in all who believe. So we see that introduced and we see once more this whole system of sacrifices Back in the land, we have the cycle of the judges, right? They fall into sin, and it's kind of a downward spiral. They call out to the Lord. He raises up somebody to deliver them. And they, but they have 400 years of this, this cycle. They call out for a king, right? And, and you know the story of how first um, Saul, but then David. David becomes the king. And what does David receive? David receives a promise that there would be someone from his line that would be that forever king, right? That would be that forever king. Someone would reign on the throne of David forever. So David's son Solomon um, builds a temple where once again the presence of God, God is present with them. They have a system of sacrifices at the temple. But you know the story. It didn't go even really well for Solomon. The kingdom's divided. And through those next several hundred years, we have the time of the prophets, and they're sent mostly to warn the people, hey, turn back to God. But what else do they do? Those prophets also give us information about promises yet ahead. Promises about this Messiah who would one day come and be that forever king. Now, of course, these guys, back to, you know, thinking through our story in Luke, these guys, you know, they had a, a handle on that idea but they didn't see that that promised Messiah would have a first coming where he's the suffering servant and ultimately offers his life as a sacrifice, right? Sacrifice. He says that uh, then that, that there'd be this time period. They didn't see that coming uh, between his first coming and his second coming. We, through hindsight, we said, well, yeah, could have, should have sorted it out, but I'm not sure we would have done much better. Just a couple highlights of what those prophets would have said. Then we'll get back to our, to our account here. Um, in the Psalms, because it says the Psalms there, Psalm 22, Psalm 53, really point to that, that sacrificial lamb, uh, especially Isaiah 53, powerful, powerful text. But then there's texts like Jeremiah 31 that promises of a new covenant, right? And that new covenant is relational and it's personal. 
It's not just part of being uh, uh, an Israelite and you go through the motions and you go to the temple and you offer this sacrifice at this time of year. No, that sacrifice or that covenant was more about this relationship that he's going he's gonna to be with us. Then we get prophecies like um, Daniel chapter 2 and chapter 7 because it gives a world overview in kingdoms where it says, oh, there'll be these four kingdoms. But then what would happen to the fourth kingdom? Ultimately, it would have two parts, but there would be one who comes like a stone and he sets up a kingdom. He's from the father. And what happens? He's going to rule forever. So Daniel talked about a forever kingdom that would be coming. Chapters 2, chapter 7. Many more. I could, I could go through it. But let's fast forward into those first introductory books of, or chapters of the New Testament. Let me give you three examples of what, what was said. John chapter 1, verse 29 is a reference. John the Baptist, what did he say when Jesus was walking up to him that day? Behold, the Lamb of God who does what? Takes away the sin of the world. Doesn't just set up a kingdom to kick out the Romans, right? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Lamb of God? Like a sacrifice? Like Passover lamb that was pointed to way back there? Yeah, that's how it works. How about Matthew? Angel speaking to Mary, she, or she will bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus. And what will he do? Save his people from their sins. He will come to save his people from their sins. Not just set up a kingdom to make things better and more comfortable for you. Okay? That'll happen eventually. But he's got to save his people from their sins. All right, one more. Luke 1, verse 32 and 33. You shall call his name Jesus. He'll be great. Be called the son of the, son of the highest the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob when? Forever. In his kingdom there will be no end. Okay? So Jesus is that forever king promised. Okay? So just, I don't know how many, six minutes would that take? So we can see that, and we'll get the rest of the story here in a minute, but we can see that what Jesus did here for these guys is to say, look at the whole of the Bible. Look at God's redemptive hand through all of the Bible to get a better perspective. So you're not surprised by the unexpected. So we'll finish the story here in, in a couple minutes. Let's, let's get back to our text and uh, take a look at how these guys responded here. Verse, uh, verse 28 of Luke 24. Then they drew near to the village where they were going. He indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us? while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us. So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Wow. 
I'll just emphasize the idea that they, it says that they, they, they spoke of their hearts burning within them as he opened up the scriptures to them. I think that's something for all of us. If you've never, you know, if you're, if you're new to the Bible, and, and that was me at one time, you know, I was an 18-year-old and, and, and had grown up in the Catholic Church, but very nominally so, kind of waved goodbye to that at 16 or so. But I went to college after a friend had shared to me, you need Jesus. And I said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. He said, well, will you read the Bible? And I went, and during my first two years of college, I started reading the Bible. By the end of my second year of college, I said, he's right. I do need Jesus. That's my first introduction to the Bible was during those months, my heart was being opened up. And also, in a sense, I was convicted that, wow, he's right. There's, there's, There's something in here. There's a message in here that I need. So if that's you today and you've said, well, I've never really responded to that, the scriptures will bring truth to our attention, will bring truth to our remembrance. And, and, and the truth is, is that we're all sinners in need of a Savior. And if you've never made that commitment, I really encourage you, make today the day where you said, okay, Jesus, I don't know so much about this, but I'm going to put my faith and trust in you so that you can be my forever king. And, and you can do that any time. It's, it's important that we, we recognize the need to do that. But for all of us, there's times when the scriptures are opened or we're reading or we hear a good message or whatever, or you're in a Bible study group, whatever it is, and the scriptures are coming to us and we have understanding and comprehension and we go, wow, that's truth. That's truth. And to apply it to this situation in Luke 24, here were guys who had decent expectations, right? They were God-fearing people, and they, they had these expectations. That, oh, well, he's going to be our, this king that would, you know, we were hoping he was the one. That's good. But they're troubled, they're confused. The Bible sorts things out. Do you see that? One of the main messages from this text is when we're troubled or confused. Now, most of us aren't going to you know, be there three days after Jesus is crucified and all that. I get, I get that. But when we're troubled and confused, the scriptures have answers for us. They may not have, have every answer to every specific situation. But there are truths in the scriptures that can speak to us and give us a peace that passes understanding. And that's a really important application from this text. These guys were troubled and confused. Jesus opens the scriptures and they go, oh, yes, that was truths being spoken into my heart and that's what they needed to gain more understanding. But there's more coming. Second service, Jesus gives the same message. So let's, let's get to verse 36 in our text. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said, peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. He said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And we had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. But while they still did not believe for joy, they marveled. He said to them, have you any food here? 
So they gave him a piece of boiled, broiled fish and some honeycomb. He took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the Law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. So it looks like he gave the same message at the second service here. Okay, now to a, to a little bit bigger group of guys. It looks, sounds like the two guys might have actually got it for a second time. So he brings peace. He says, no need to be frightened here, guys. Uh, why troubled? Why doubt? Um, told you these things. And then he explains it again. But it also says, this is an important, important point for us, he opened their understanding. And many believe it's at this point that they believed and we know that, we believe that at the point someone believes, the Holy Spirit indwells us. It's pretty, pretty basic uh, biblical doctrine, Christian doctrine. The point you believe the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells all of us. We can choose to resist that. We can you know, walk in the flesh rather than walk in the Spirit. But that's what happens. And one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to lead us into truth, bring things to our remembrance. So with the help of the Holy Spirit, who's called the helper, they, it says he opened their understanding. Now this would coincide with John chapter 20, where it says he breathed on them and he said receive the Holy Spirit. So at the point they believe they received the Holy Spirit, then things start to understand, uh, their understanding starts to, to come together and they start to say, okay, now we're seeing it. Important for us as believers to recognize the role of the Holy Spirit in helping us to understand. I get it. Most people across Christianity, they're either from um, a, a fringe of Christianity where the Holy Spirit is um, uh, very actively talked about, and there's some activities that, you know, some people go, whoa, that's a little too weird for me. They attribute it to the Holy Spirit. Not sure that's always the case, but. And then there's others, or most of the mainstream of Christianity, that sees that and heads the other direction. And they go, oh, well, if that's the Holy Spirit, I don't need to do it. And I'm saying, no, it's got to be a third track right down the middle, folks. We've got to be open to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. It's the Holy Spirit that leads us into truth. It's the Holy Spirit where our understanding is open. So, if you're saying, well, I'm having a hard time on my Bible reading, or I'm having a hard time understanding, just pray. Just say, God, I need your Holy Spirit to help me understand these things. And I believe that simple prayer will be honored. I really do. I really do. So it says he opened their understanding that they may comprehend the scriptures. Folks, we all, all of us, you don't need a seminary degree to understand the scriptures. We all have access to the scriptures and uh, some incredible helpful tools out there these days as well. But we can all understand the scriptures. We really can. But it is a spiritual process. Um, jot down 1 Corinthians 2 if you, if you want. 1 Corinthians 2, 13 and 14 talks about that, that it's, it's a spiritual thing. It's not just a knowledge and information. It's not just an intellectual pursuit. It's not just a, a literary thing. Uh, people look at the Bible and say, oh, this is a collection of books. It's a collection of stories. Well, it's way more than that. It, it's one big story put together that talks about how God redeems the people that he loved, created and loves through this uh, ultimate redeemer and king Jesus. So 
All right, let's see what it is uh, for us going forward. Verse 46 in our text. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, Thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power on, from on high. So, he says it was necessary for the Christ to suffer, rise the third day, to fulfill what was written. So we have this, this um, he, he kind of repeats and reviews what, what had gone on here and why it was important for that to happen. What's the next step? He says the next step, guys, is we've got an important era here. We've got what we now know as church history, the last 2,000 years where believers, once Jesus came the first time, he would then empower his believers to bring that message to all nations. Why? Well, he had promised Abraham way back in Genesis 12. What did he say? Through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. How are all the nations of the earth blessed? The gospel message, faith and trust in Christ. It's available to everybody. God shows no partiality that way. No partiality. He wants the gospel message to go to all people. And that's what he tells to these guys. And we're still in that time period, folks. We're still in that era of, hey, repentance, remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations. Of course, they were to begin at Jerusalem. And, and he said, wait until you're um, endued with power from on high. It's another thing that, we get, that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. He empowers us, gifts us and empowers us, gives us a boldness, gives us a clarity, gives us a, 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 an, an avenue, an approach to, to talk to people about what it means to trust Christ. And, um, yeah, that they'd be empowered with God's work. Well, you know the rest of that story. The book of Acts is an exciting account of that next 30 years or so of how that takes place. Let's wrap up the chapter, verse 50. And he led them out as far as Bethany, lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them that he parted from them and, and was carried up into heaven. They worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. We're continually, continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. So that's where Luke's account ends. So what we see is, okay, back away, big picture, big story. Jesus is ascended into heaven, okay? So he's been crucified, resurrected. Now we see the ascension. We know biblically, very clear, he's seated currently at the right hand of the Father. Several places uh, account for that. He will return one day, the second coming which we still have ahead of us. Okay, So to finish the story that we started in Genesis, worked through what Jesus told those guys up to hit this point, what we now know is that we're in the time period in, 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 in church history, current times, it's the message. We're to be bringing forth the gospel message to, uh, to, to bring people to Christ, to bring people to maturity in Christ so that we'll serve and, and, and we'll, we'll go out with that message to all the people of, of the earth. We look for his return. We are all to look for his return because we, it says it will be at an unknown, unknown day and hour. 
Right? No one knows the day or the hour. When is he going to return? I don't know. It could be very soon, especially based on some of the things we see going on. It's like, well, I want to be ready because it could be any time. But the other thing is here, folks, on the idea of expectations, we also all need to be prepared that it might not be tomorrow. I'm not saying, I'm not being predictive here in, in the slightest. When I came to faith in the late 70s, boy, there were people that were convinced his return was now, right now, right now. Hmm, see, that's been over 40 years now, okay? We don't get, we don't lose heart, we don't get discouraged, because if your expectations are saying he's got to come in this time frame, and that doesn't happen, where are you left, okay? It could be any day. And I really believe he wants his followers to be serving and looking for that return. It's called imminence. But we also have a verse that Peter wrote to us that says, God is not slow concerning his promises. He is patient. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You and I in our finite minds are not able to grasp the depth of God's patience. How patient is he? How long will he wait? You know, if I came to faith in, say, 1977, I'm sure glad he didn't return in 1976. According to what I believe, I would have been in the midst of a tribulation period and maybe come to faith there. Many will. But I believe very clearly that, yes, he will return. I believe he'll take his people out of the world right ahead of that seven-year tribulation. Good men and women... Biblical scholars have a little bit different viewpoint on how that, those things ahead work. We'll talk about that later. But the whole idea is Jesus is returning and will be that forever king. That's what the book of Revelation tells us, right? What's the title of the book? The Revelation of Jesus Christ. He's revealed as that forever king promised through David's line. He's revealed as the one who will be in that restored new heaven and a new earth. That's, what, that's how the story ends. That's how the big story of the Bible ends, folks. It reveals Jesus as that forever king. All praise, glory, and honor. His people, in the meantime, back to our account, how do they respond? Okay? Getting their expectations lined up. Jesus comes and kind of helps them get their expectations back in line. How do they now respond? They now understand the scriptures better, and they worship and they praise. And we will we read on in Acts, which Luke wrote Acts as well, so you can just kind of bookend uh, those two together. Once they're empowered with the Holy Spirit, they go forth with a message, and incredible things happen. Right? Incredible things happen. Don't forget that God also, dealing with expectations, has kind of a track record of blowing us away. Right? Bible says, I has not seen nor ear heard nor has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Don't be surprised how God does work. And it may be way beyond our expectations. Sure, I get life can be hard. Life can be bizarre, um, especially in, the, in the, the times we live in, uh, nationally, internationally, local. I mean, just it's like, whoa, what's going on? But at the same time, I know that God has been into redeeming people, restoring people to himself all the way from the beginning of this book. 
And he promised to be with us to do that until he returns and sets up that forever kingdom. I'm in. I'm going to praise him. I'm going to look to him, ask his Holy Spirit to give me the wisdom I need. And I'm going to try to align my expectations with his word and not let my expectations get out of whack or get too personal. Sure, I, I, I pray for relatives that don't know the Lord. I pray for my kids, my grandkids, that they'll not only know the Lord, but trust the Lord and grow in the Lord and, and be right in that place where they can really see what the Lord wants to do with their lives. I mean, I pray those things and I have expectations and hopes that that'll happen. But man, there's twists and turns and bumps in the road, as you all know. So these people, great joy once they got their expectations in line. Got a little Bible study on, on, on the big picture. So, not sure where you're at. I'd urge you to remember that the Bible is one big story. It's one big story of love and redemption. God's creation is restored through Jesus Christ, the forever king. That's the story of the Bible. Oh, sure, there's tons of different types of literature there. There's lots of different ups and downs. And you go, what's that book about, you know? teaching some young guys through Ecclesiastes right now, you know. <laughs> they wanted to study it. I was like, okay, let's take a shot at it, you know. That's a unique one, you know. It's a unique one. But uh, the message of reconciliation is not only the story of the Bible, but it's our story in each of our lives, and it's the story that we're to bring forth, right? Second Corinthians 5 says we're ambassadors for Christ. Is God making his appeal through us? Yeah, we're a new creation, but we're also then ambassadors to represent him, bring that message. We're to look for his return. Um, could be soon. Love to be in his presence, but he's got work for us in the meantime, however long we're here. This chapter should really encourage us to be in his word. And in addition to just not just reading his word, but also just applying ourselves and, and, and begin that application of ourselves by saying, Lord, I want to understand by your Holy Spirit. So, so fill me afresh with your spirit and help your, by your Holy Spirit, may I have better understanding of what that, what that means. And that should result, the more and more we do that, more and more it should result in gratitude, thanksgiving, and, and, and praise to his name. That's why we gather together to, to praise him. So we should be careful not to be too troubled, not to be afraid, not to get too narrowly focused on our own view or what's going to benefit us. We can be people whose hearts are aflame, just like these guys. Just like the same God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We can be filled with the Holy Spirit, and we can have his joy. And remember, God is still working, folks. God is still working in these days. Let's say, Lord, how do you want to use me? What work do you want to do in me, and then through me, and through us? So, let's pray.